0: This is a News Laundry podcast, and you're listening to sessions from the Media Rumble 2018.
1: I've been really excited about this session. Uh, Francesca and I chatted um, a week or two ago uh, before she left to come to India. Um, and, and, you know, there were, there were a couple of questions that were foremost in my mind, right? And, and I think, let's start with a little bit of context setting. And then, you know, to take this conversation forward, you have to see the content uh, it would have been ideal for us to have headsets uh, like we were discussing um, to, because that really immerses you into the reality of what you're going to see. But we'll have to do with trailers. Um, so fundamentally, um, and, and Francesca, you can explain this better, but very fundamentally, virtual reality is, you know, uh, when, you, when you take uh, something and use computer software and also create 3D, presence, right, in some ways, using text, using imagery, and so on. So there are many ways in which you can do it. And Francesca is going to talk you through a lot of that. Um, But primarily, right, um, I can see healthcare having a lot of use for VR, I can see gaming absolutely killing the technology, already making tons of money um, using VR for gaming. Why is it important for a newsroom um, to think about VR?
2: I think, it gives, I think it gives more opportunities for journalism in terms of storytelling. I mean, it sounds kind of blatantly obvious, but to put someone inside a story is fundamentally very exciting for news organisations. If you can let them actually take part, to have interactivity, to feel like they're actually participating in a story, again, it just adds a dimension that has never been possible with journalism before. And the kind of early results in terms of what effect that has for people, following up on the story, wanting to learn more. Um, charities have found in terms of donating money, actually uh, caring about the subject um, has huge impact. So um, I think one of the reasons why there's been so much talk and hype around VR is because it's kind of blatantly obvious why it's exciting, Like You can be there.
1: Sure. So, um When you think of if there were top top three contexts, right, where you felt it was, um, like you say, empathy or uh, putting yourself in the place of that reality, which sometimes can also be sort of patronizing. I don't know. You know, there's also the politics to do with that. Um, Are there, you know, top three sort of contexts where you feel in your experience it's already been very, very effective and impactful for journalism?
2: What we've, ex- what we've been experimenting with over the last two years is trying to put you in someone else's shoes. And it's a very kind of specific experience we've done, which, as you say, it's controversial in that you can never actually be in someone else's shoes. It's, you know, we're doing our best to kind of give some kind of feeling, but it is unique in terms of um, what that form can do. And so I have found that more interesting... Than some of the kind of more documentary style, which we're familiar with, you can just kind of look any way you want. So I think the ones that have been most successful have been those that are experiential. Um, and that is what I've been tracking, not only within journalism, but also within nonfiction and also fiction, because I, I must say that the field of content at the moment is so small that looking for inspiration and ideas you cannot just look within journalism because there's a tiny amount of pieces created um so we're
1: going to show you three pieces of content um, and francesca is going to talk you through how each piece is different and what it took to make those pieces of content after which we're going to talk a little bit about who are the right people to do vr because i think oftentimes in our newsrooms um Print journalists are asked to to do video. Video journalists are asked to do VR. Somebody else is asked to do audio. And I think there are limitations to that kind of um, sort of scale skilling. And we wanted to talk a little bit about that. We're also gonna talk a little bit about um, just as startups need product market fit For formats to work in journalism, we need content format fits, right? Uh, And and what could those content ideas be for India um, so that we can use her time and her expertise for the Indian audience. And I'm also gonna push her a little bit about the challenges um, to do with VR, right? How, how can we overcome some of those challenges? Shall we play this? Well, I, I
2: might just, before we play play the first trailer, I might just tell you a little bit about the first piece that we're gonna see. I mean, it's just a, um, a, a trailer giving an indication and as Durga was saying, like, it's, it's always terribly frustrating talking at conferences, talking about VR and having to play some flat video. Uh, which gives really no indication of the experience at all. But nevertheless, that's what we've got. Um, The first piece was really a prototype that we made at The Guardian to see was VR interesting for us as an organization. And we were exploring the topic of solitary confinement in the organization, in in America in particular. Um, There are over 80,000 prisoners in solitary confinement at the moment in the States, um, kept in six foot by nine foot cells with very little human contact apart from the guards that will come and visit them to give you your food in in your room. And I spent quite a lot of time interviewing um, the psychologists who have been looking at the psychological implications of this. And essentially you begin to lose your mind when you're In sensory deprivation so you begin to hear things you begin to see things um, you're much more likely to harm yourself suicide levels are very high um, within these kind of cells Um, and so what i wanted to do was try and give you an experience of what it was like to be in this kind of environment albeit only for 10 minutes rather than the several years that many of these people are kept in confinement for. Um, what I think I'll do is play the video now and then I'm going to tell you a little bit about the production techniques because I'd, I'd like to, the, this, the session that we did before around um, tech in news was, was um, mainly around issues, but I'd quite like to talk about some of the production techniques as well in this session. So um, let's, play, let's play the first um, AV piece and just to give you a bit of a taster. Welcome to your cell. You're going to be here for 23 hours a day.
0: You are going to undergo many different kinds of reactions. And some of them will be more immediate than others.
2: Keep your eye on survival.
1: Memorize your space. After a while, things start to slip.
2: I find myself
0: floating. The toilet that drips. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: people turn on themselves it's almost like you want to feel alive you do something to make them notice you
0: so now that you're here what are you going to do what
3: can you do six by nine a virtual experience of solitary confinement
2: So, as as I said before, it's about a nine-minute experience. And the whole piece is contrived as as a first-person experience. You are the prisoner in solitary confinement. And the people that talk to you talk to you as if you are a a prisoner. And that was all done through real interviews um, with people who had been in solitary confinement. So, I interviewed... Um, Ten people who had been in prison for between a year and a half and ten years, in solitary confinement particularly, for for a year and a half to ten years. Um, Tyrell, who who was in that piece, uh, was in in prison for 30 years, but in solitary confinement for ten years. And what I did was get them to to relay their particular stories, but also to try and guide the um, audience through what they should expect to feel, what might happen to them during this time. So none of it is scripted at all. And you also hear the voice of two psychologists who I then went and interviewed as well. And through that, um, through those audio interviews, um, you are kind of guided through that experience. Now, visually, we made the cell in CGI, so it's animated, and we worked with a production company called The Mill to do that. And there were a number of reasons for this. Um, we wouldn't be able. To, we we weren't able to get access uh, to a um, solitary confinement cell in the states to to, um, to film. We could have reconstructed a cell, but there seemed to be little reason to do that over using animation. And one of the um, key advantages of animation is um, the available available kind of. Um, interaction that you can have so there is a certain scene where depending on what objects you look at they tell you different stories so you're actually interacting with the environment and it also meant we could be very flexible during the production process as well so we could be iterating all the time me recutting bits of audio trying out scenes Um, we tried various things around self-harm where we put um, uh, kind of evidence of self-harm in in the cell that was far too shocking and difficult so that came out we then um uh one of the johnny who um also you heard his voice talked about how he would look at the cracks on the walls and they would become like figures and kind of animate so we we tried that out that did work um and then Victor said that he was the guy who said he, said he could feel himself floating. He would feel disembodied, which, again, is um, a fairly common kind of psychological feeling of, of disembodiment when you're not having social contact. And so, again, because it was animated, and we wouldn't have been able to do this in film, we were able to give yourself this right. feeling of, of floating. Um, so this, this piece, it's not a film, this experience, took probably about six to nine months to make in total.
1: Okay, so, you know, um, very interesting. So when you think about uh, authenticity, right, Uh, and you think about fiction and nonfiction, and you think about, okay, how am I translating what my um, subject or source is defining as floating, right? There's a subjectivity that you bring into this, right? I wanted you to talk a little bit about some of the choices that you make there question one absolutely and number two um you know you clearly have to have outside partners right i doubt there are too many i mean i keep as we look at animation within the indian express i keep saying Anyone who's so good at animation, why will he come and work in the news business, right? I'm thinking he will be in gaming or... In, in an industry that is very, very exciting, right? So clearly you have to have specialist partners. And talk us through that process as well, right? Like, like where is it the Guardian, and, and where do you seed some judgment
2: outside? So first of all, on the kind of journalism um, in this piece, I've been asked this question several times. Using CGI, is it journalism? I mean, for sure, I would say this is a hi- all of our pieces are kind of hybrid pieces. They are using techniques from all different industries. I personally am really um, always looking for cues in immersive theatre, for instance. This is a form which is, you know, involves you and is all around you, um, and gaming techniques as well. Um, I would say that every single thing that we did in that and all of our films, we highly, highly researched. So, for instance. I was quite concerned about... Am I... Are the hallucinations that I'm putting in accurate? So, that at one stage, you see a figure in the corner of the room. When you look at them, they disappear. When you look back, they reappear. Because people would say they would see these... I think it was, again, you heard, um, you heard Victor saying, I would see this figure in the corner of my eye. And we think, well, you know, is this like... A, are we essentially making a horror film here? Or is this like real journalism? So we would go back to the people that we interviewed. We would say, is this authentic? Is this what you experience? And then at the very end of making this, I took it to a psychologist. I said, I've never experienced hallucinations. I don't know what this is like. Can you watch this? Can you tell me is this authentic? Also, is it safe to to have people watching this because it's quite a strong experience? And we were also worried about ratings. There are ratings for films. There are ratings for... um, you know, other medium, but not for VR yet. So, like, what kind of health warnings do we need to put on this? But even the little details, like the books in the room and where the clothes were, endless emails back and forth with the people I'd interviewed saying, where did you leave your clothes? What kind of books? Like, can you actually give me the books that you read so I can put those titles in the room? Where did you put them? And then I would send them screen grabs all the way through. They'd say, actually, the toilet paper, that doesn't have an inner ring. Apparently they thought that the toilet, inner toilet roll bit was somehow people could use it for self-harm or something the, the toothbrushes wouldn't have a um a handle it was just like the top bit so things, details like that that we didn't know they would then feed back and we also worked with a charity called solitary watch similarly we were going back to them all the time because this is a prototype cell it's not a real cell how accurate is this can we say this is the generic cell so I, I would say it was well, right. you know, highly kind of well fact-checked journalism. The
1: nine months or six months? Or, I'm assuming Not just smart. therefore that.
2: I mean, I'd say that building anything in animation takes time. Sure. Okay. Second question, partners. Yes. Yeah? Or we can no, skip no, that. No, I, was, <laughs> I
1: was also going to say, do you want to do the second?
2: I, I, I can talk. Um, okay. okay well, yeah. Let's do partners. Let's do partners. So, partners. Um, So, I run an in-house studio, um, which has got a Unity developer, a producer, a number of directors, um, audio specialist. Um, So, sometimes we can make these pieces on our own. Um, But sometimes, for instance, like 6 by 9 we don't have the skills in-house. And then we need to work with someone like The Mill um, to make a piece. And then it takes... Just a lot of very, very close collaboration. So the original um, kind of screen grabs that I got from that hallucination seem seem far too much like a horror film to me. And as a journalist, I have to say, like, no way. Like, you know, that is not... You might make that for a commercial company, but you can't make that for The, for the Guardian. But they they took to that really well. I mean, I think that they, these, these kind of companies are really excited about working with journalists and making something that's not a VR car advert um, or a VR beer advert. And so they were really excited about, you know, taking on the feedback, changing, you know, changing the references and working with us. Um, And all the companies, you know, we've worked with several companies who work with a fantastic um, LiDAR scanning company called ScanLabs, who similarly really interested in the nuance and the detail um, of these pieces. Um, so,
1: so I'm assuming once you
2: start working
1: with a partner, you work with them fairly frequently, right? It's a relationship that.
2: Yes, but I've been very keen over the last two years to experiment with the widest types of um, techniques. So we made a pil- piece in tilt brush, and so that's a whole other set of techniques. That's not anim- well. We did animate the strokes, but. Um, th- whole different kind of specialities. As I say, LIDAR scanning. You need to go, you know, to somebody else. And um, we've just done this beautiful piece, which is about um, extinct birds in Hawaii. Um, It is, you follow the very last... O.O. bird, which we had all of these old sound recordings of these now extinct birds. And we recreated the story of an ecologist who went and saw the last O.O. bird and he recorded it with his tape machine and he played it back to see if it had recorded. And the O.O. bird flew back because it thought it had heard its mate. It had, You know, all of the other O.O.s were gone. And so it flew back, it looked at the ecologist... Oh no! It's not my mate. It's like it's just a tape recording machine, and flew away. And so for this piece, we used all the original co- recordings, but we used we worked with um, some illustrators in um, Copenhagen, and they drew the the Hawaiian forest. So it's it's like looks like a fairy tale drawing, beautifully painted, um, then set in in a in a in a in, a, in, a, um, in Unity. So it's uh, in a in a real time world, and That's a completely different aesthetic that I haven't seen anywhere else, but it just meant that we could give it this kind of otherworldly quality while still having, you know, the original recordings and telling this real story. So, anyway, uh, uh, kind of gone off on a... All I'm saying is... It is what you're saying. Various people are... Different people are trying different things, and yes, you could just work with one company and go, you know what, I'm not going to give myself the headache of learning a new thing each time, but... I think one of the exciting things about being in emerging technologies so early on in the game is getting to experiment in all these ways and say, you know, VR for journalism could look like this, it could look like hand-painted drawings, it could be animation or it could be film, which is, you know, what you would expect. So, um, the next trailer is First Impressions. So, um, this is a piece that puts you in the position of a baby. Um, It follows the uh, period of zero to six months old. And um, this is a time where, when you're born, you can hear really well, but you can't see very well. Um, Your eyes are um, are very, very blurred. You see in black and white. You can only see about 20 centimetres when you're born. You can't see in depth, so you've got 2D vision. Also, that time is really formative for interaction. Um, We worked with a um, professor at Harvard who's been looking at um, what happens if you don't have interaction during that time. And looking specifically at um, the case of Romanian orphanages in the 90s where children weren't given that type of interaction and the effects psychologically and also physically on the brain. So like all pieces, we always start out with a whole lot of reporting. This is just interviewing people. We go to baby labs. We talk to these professors. Straightforward, boring newspaper reporting. And then we think, like, right, how can we make this into something that's going to be experiential? How is it going to be? How are we going to turn all of this into something which makes you feel like a baby? So we essentially film you from a first-person perspective. And then, working with the Surrey Baby Baby Lab, we then developed the visuals as t- during t- to the research that they have they have been developing um, we also, because we made this for Google's Daydream headset, you've, you can, um, you've got interactivity with the, with the um, controller. So there's a kind of moment in the, in the middle where you have to call over your mum. You need to cry and make noises to make her come to you as well. So um, that piece, we used both kind of visual effects. It's filmed, but we used visual effects, and we also used kind of looping bits of films and, and interactivity. Um, so I'll just play the second bit of AV to show that. Welcome to your first day. This time is critical. As you grow into adulthood, these moments will fade from your memory, but they will echo through the rest of your life. And as you can see there we, we used actors for this piece as well and I worked with a poet to, to write the script as well to kind of give it this kind of like very simple childlike quality. So again it's this kind of hybrid that I was talking about early on of mixing really straightforward journalism with like more artistic practices as well. Shall we watch the last one and then we can just chat about a bunch of things? So we, we've also, I mean, that one was filmed, um, but we are also, we've also been filming um, using kind of 360 rigs um, for more kind of conventional documentary pieces as well. And this is a piece that we made um, in Patagonia, um, which has got a very interesting rewilding program there at the moment. Um, and we were also looking at the concept of, of wilderness and its importance and its relationship to us as we become increasingly more urbanized and, and disconnected from these kind of landscapes. Um and just play the last last piece of A V, please.
1: Of talk through you know for a, a institution like the Guardian where you're um, you know you have a certain kind of funding um, that you have a, a role that you play within society the fact that you ask your um, readers/ viewers to contribute towards the larger cause um, I can see you know empathy uh, I can see preservation I can see value based um, journalism being an important part of what you do, right? Um what do you and, and and unfortunately in India a lot of times when there is this kind of technology, like your studio told you, it is advertising that will buy it first, right? It'll be a brand that says, listen, I would love for users to actually experience what my product is like or whatever that might be. Um and given that um, VR has um an exceptionally large number of challenges, right, including the headset, um, the time taken to produce it, finding the right story for experiential journalism, um, getting the right kind of skills. I just wanted you to uh, wanted you to talk through what could be some, uh, given your experience with um, introducing technology for the first time uh, in newsrooms. What do you think are tipping points when uh, newsrooms say, "Listen, this is something that I am going to invest in." And
2: how do we make that?
1: How? How? What makes that happen?
2: I, I think certainly demand. So when you can see people actually ready to to consume something, then for sure that helps. So you know now newsrooms are actually taking up podcasting. Um, I went, I moved to the Guardian eleven years ago to start up podcasting. We were really excited about it then then it kind of went into a slump and we kind of got rid of all our audio producers and then video was taken up and now, oh, now podcasting's really exciting and have you heard this thing called <laughs> podcasting? Yes. Um, so part of it is demand and hi- and hype, of course, as well. Um, And so I think there is a question of whether you want to be kind of ahead of the curve or whether you want to be following the audiences. And it's a really fine balance um, because I think it is early for VR at the moment. It's exciting for us because, you know, you can just see the kind of potential that is there and how exciting that is. But I think there is also kind of realism as well around whether people are going to put these headsets on or are people going to be using them as um, Facebook 360s where it's on their phone and, um, you know, they're not going to bother to put the full headsets on. So I think there is a question for, you know, if you're interested in new media and you're interested in, in, in influencing your newsroom and, and then, then I think finding good use cases and saying, look, we couldn't have done this in any other way apart from as a podcast series, apart right. from as a video. Right. Um, but i think those tipping points are is, is when the is when the when the technology becomes useful i mean podcasts were at a complete pain until you could stream podcasts on right, your phone right.
1: No, so given that we're talking about voice and audio right and now that we are all thinking about um voice as a very sort of at least newsrooms are thinking about voice and the structure of data to do with voice how we're going to restructure our metadata to think of question and answers So, let's, I mean, if you were to think about, like, experiential journalism, and we were talking about conversational journalism, how do you think, and and one of the things I keep cribbing about is that year after year, we tell the same stories, right? Like, how do you think new formats um, make us tell new stories?
2: Yeah, I mean, this is something, I I used to be a radio producer, so I'm really interested in voice, um, and how these little speaker things can be useful to us. And I think, first of all, it's going to be fairly straightforward podcasts and you know things that we're used to and that we do really well. And actually, people are beginning to do better and better. There is more and more good audio content out there. So the, the kind of first wave, I think, is going to be fairly straightforward to be honest but yeah this is a term that i've been using like conversational journalism where i'm interested in like actually if you can interact with it and you can talk with this thing a bit like having a journalist there with you like what does that change how does that change journalism instead of because we've had this you know for hundreds of years we've had journalists telling you something it's all been very one way and actually if you can be at least feeling like there's some kind of responsiveness. Like what does that mean for the types of content that we're producing and how we're producing it as well?
1: Yeah, so, you know, one of the things we've been thinking about at the Indian Express is when you've been in existence for, like, 70, 75 years, you've seen through different decades of reform and the country changing. Like, if you were to talk to the Indian Express as an institution, like, what is, what is this, uh, what would the animate thing say? Right? and what would you like to ask it about? And we've tried to come up with, it's still very much pilot, pilot modules about um, history and um, you know, some very pivotal points of, uh, you know, there were three, four years in Indian history where with the Mandal Commission and, and reforms, a lot of things changed in India, right? Are there ways to capture those uh, moments? And if you don't understand those three, four years, it's very hard to understand modern India. Um, So, do you think there are ways in which institutional history, um, when you think about conversation or when you think about how can the archives um, of of old organizations uh, be harnessed with new technology because sometimes that can be like a that can be one way that organization falls in love with new technology as
2: well right yeah for oh. sure using the archives is I mean we've got these incredible resources um, we've archived 200 years of our right. of the Guardian's um, content and there is abs- you know loads of stuff that would still be really interesting now so for sure like telling your organisation that, you know, this new technology can be using its past archive, that's one way um, to be kind of trying to convince it. I mean, the the way that I talk to The Guardian, I mean, The Guardian is a very, you know, was progressive and forward-thinking far before I joined the organisation. It, you know, had a Guardian Unlimited website, was one of the first digital newspapers and the first to kind of publish its stories digitally first before on the newspaper. So it is it is very kind of progressive digitally but i think there is an understanding in the organization that if it, if it isn't forward thinking it become redundant like i mean we're really aware that no one's going to buy physical newspapers they i mean they, they, really? like they, they're not and so then what does that look like in your organization and now everyone has telephones they don't even have you know people are people aren't really consuming content on desktops that, you know our, we've got more people reading our content on phones, of course. What does that mean? People, we're very aware of that in The Guardian. So I think there's a kind of just a reality around that.
1: Um, so, last probably question, and then we'll take more questions from the audience. Um, when you think about setting up uh, and I don't want to call it like a cliched innovation thing or whatever, right? But when you think about just setting up this um, group of people who are going to think about new storytelling or new technology, how do you think through setting that group up? How do you staff for it? Just walk us through some surprises, some hmm. uh, things you planned
2: for, learnt, etc. Well, I think I'm still learning in that. I'm not sure. I, see, I, don't, I can tell you what I've done, but I've kind of actually reached a point where i thought, I'm not sure I've been doing this in the right way, and we're doing this in the right way, And I'm just about to take a year off to go to Harvard to think about exactly this question, which is the question that I've proposed is like, how do newsrooms approach emerging media more strategically? And are, can we be learning from um, commercial, from startups, from product? Because the way I went into running our VR team was kind of like a normal radio production company. Mm. And actually, that's not the right way. It should have been more agile. It should have been. We should have thrown away a whole load of more stuff. We should have been much quicker around it. So, I, I, you know, what I did was, yeah, I found a Unity developer. I found all of the roles that I was told was important and knew was important. But actually, um, I think we need to be a lot looser and faster um, and not think that everything's going to succeed. I mean the pressure on me to kind of succeed with every piece and it be beautiful and wonderful and clever was, was large. And actually, we need to kind of get rid of that and be like, we just need to kind of mess around in the play pit a bit and see what works and doesn't work.
1: Um, and, and final, like, um, few thoughts on, when you think about the two kinds of journalism we mentioned, right, experiential and conversational, um what do you think is, is when you say, okay, that is a conversational journalism story or that is an experiential journalism story? Do you think you have any thesis on what that matrix might be?
2: I think it's pretty straightforward. It's like, is this a conversation? Like, is, is this thing that I'm imagining trying to understand the problems in the Middle East more? No, that's not experiential. That's a conversation. It's me asking questions, getting responses is what does it feel like to be in this environment? You know, that's experiential. I think that there's um, just some, like, real common sense. I think what you need not so to argument, do...
1: argument uh, or analysis versus, perhaps, experiences,
2: right, in a way? It could be analysis. It mm. could be something which is um, kind of questioning, mm. um, rather than analysis it could be something you don't understand i think we find that in the guardian when we when we do um questionnaires lots of people say actually we just don't understand the basics Mm. like you come right in deep in what's happening in syria and we just don't really understand it from the beginning right like, if there was some, a journalist with you and you could just you know, say, you know what, can you just kind of go back a bit and tell right, me and right. where exactly is that place right. in Syria and why are they having more problems? Right. You know, that's right. that's the bit where right. I think that's right. going to be interesting. Yeah. But, yeah, analysis too. That, I, mean, I don't see why not. That, I mean, we, we spent a lot of time a while ago doing videos that were all analysis and actually that could be a podcast, you know? Why do you need to see... What what, do you, what are you looking at? Yeah. sure, um, sure. So... But you need to, you know, you need to experiment with these things and some of them is, it's, you know, you kind of try it out. Okay, great. Uh, I'm going to open
3: it up for questions. Um, and it's got to do with creative license. When you use technology to tell a story, um, often you dramatize events, uh, you know, where do you draw the line? What has your experience been in being able to deal with making this a great watch um, and therefore adding elements to it uh, that may
2: not be Purely journalistic. I, I mean, we come from documentary. The, the team come from documentary backgrounds, so we're really aware of narrative arcs and tension. Um, I don't see it that different from making a documentary, where you know, whether whether it's whether you're filming real footage or whether you're recreating, you're very aware of of what is the tension, what is. Where are you taking someone, and what, it, what will that conclusion be? And I think you use the same levels of journalism that you would do if you were making a, a documentary. Um,
3: for instance, the baby film that you just showed you had an actor in it, yeah um, and, and you know that can sometimes be a difficult line to walk uh, when when you're reproducing or recreating something, using professional actors to do. So I'm just curious if there's tension yeah. in the newsroom in terms of, and I mean good tension, not yeah, bad, yeah. on how, where, and how do you draw the lines? How do you define, this is okay, this is overdone? Um, is that easy? Is that difficult?
2: Um, I, think, I think you need to be quite clear with your audience that it's dramatized, for sure. We, we make dramatized videos as well, um, but I think it just needs to be very clearly indicated um, what you're doing.
3: And and the second question was this. Um, how do you pick what you want to use uh, or apply technology to and, and make for more immersive storytelling? How do
2: I pick the stories? How do you pick the stories? Um, so we spend a lot of time storyboarding. Um, so I, I guess one of the bits of advice for people who are interested in going into this is spend huge amounts of time doing pre-production. Um, because it's only when you get really into like scripting and storyboarding out each scene and what you're going to see you go actually you know what there's nothing in this it doesn't work um so i mean i was saying it was obvious earlier to durga sometimes it's obvious sometimes it's sometimes you think it's going to be really great and actually there's not that much there like the baby piece was pretty hard because we're like oh it'd be great to feel like what it's like to be a baby and then it's like well after the first five seconds what what then (laughs) okay this is quite boring i'm sitting here and now there are some colors big deal um so we had to spend a lot of time storyboarding out before we film Uh, because then once you get into production it's expensive you know so you need to be pretty damn sure that it's a good idea and you know exactly what you're doing before you start getting some company to build you a cgi cell or a filming
3: sorry if, if if anybody has a problem i'll ask you one last question uh, you mentioned that the pressure to succeed with every project that you took up uh, was tremendous, and you wish you just had time to fiddle around and experiment. Um, newsrooms have, and all newsrooms, whether it's yours or ours, have you know finite resources. When you're putting this much money into something that's new and experimental, what do you look to justify it? I mean, is it just numbers of viewership, readership? Or is there any other way you look to justify why you've spent that kind of money? i don't on think with emerging story?
2: technologies it can ever be metrics i mean v r is particularly difficult because of headset distribution and with with voice there's certainly um more like little speakers out there in the wide world than there are v r headsets, but even with voice discovery is impossible so i mean if you if you're looking at just metrics for emerging technology, I think that's that is not um you know I think you need to look at are you doing journalism that you, t- a type of journalism that you couldn't have done in any other way, and therefore is that interesting for your organization or for the larger ecosystem of journalism? I mean, we also look at peer recognition. Um, we spend a lot of time talking to other trade magazines or whatever and getting written about and talked about so that we're seen as being innovating. Um, we want to be seen as being leading in in this area and you know I, th- I think we are um and we win win prizes and i i know they're kind of it sounds like kind of superficial kind of things but they are it's it's important to be seen to be leading as well in the in the industry as well as feeling like you really are i mean so um i would say metrics have to be low if you're if you're gonna enter the technology this this early on
1: And I think some, I mean, technologies are very clearly useful to your business, right? I think when you do, for instance, business journalism, to have conversational journalism where you're actually going to explain the basics of a bunch of things to somebody who might be querying you is clearly a great voice application and something you might want to invest in more than
3: experiential. But Durga, that's some of the least expensive journalism to do. Uh, something that involves voice journalism actually is amongst, you know, I mean, sure, you have to get the quality right and all of that. But
1: you have to structure really, all that data, which is like... But
3: there's nothing to say you don't have to structure it when you write a story or when you do a video. Yeah, I mean, sure, all of it. So I'm just saying, um, but the emerging technology is a whole different ballgame because then you're investing in that technology. You're working with creative people from outside. So I suppose my question was, uh, do you use any metrics or is this... Uh, is this the learning curve of an organization as a whole? Right. I mean, because yeah, we we follow I would metrics. imagine sixty to eighty percent of what you do may not be like. What were the numbers on any of your videos that you thought justified the effort? Did you even look at the numbers? Does that matter? That was the
2: question.
1: I think it's also you know, impact. I think talk it's also about impact. Points of technologies, like we were talking about earlier, where you feel something gets adopted.
2: Yeah, and I think that you just never know. It's very it's very hard to know how quick it's going to happen. But you know, I, th- I, I think. Podcasting is the one that I use just because I've got a personal reference to that. You know, when Serial came out, right. that was the tipping point for that. And that was content, but it wasn't just content on its own. We now had phones where we could listen to these things really easily. So it has to be this marriage of content and and technology together. I, you can't expect the technology to develop without there being a driver for that. So I think that it's important that we are experimenting ourselves not just going you know what we'll come back you know we're we're just not going to be interested in this until later on in the day we we need to be involved in the conversation how i think is really you know that's the bit that i'm really interested in investigating to what level you go into this how what does that look like in terms of output what do the teams look like
1: Hi, so you guys spoke about um, archiving previous stories and how there's a huge gap, um, you know, between the history of a particular story and where we stand today. For example, like you mentioned, Syria, and whether it's Syria, whether it's Kashmir, uh, people know what's happening today. Uh, on this day the top headlines etc but they don't know where it started how it started and even where on the map exactly it is so how do you creatively use new technology to bridge that gap because i do think that's very interesting and there is a huge gap between people's uh, in in people's knowledge right between you know uh where it started how it's happening so how do you use a, use new technology to bridge that gap creatively and b how do you retain people's attention because um you know, without making it too data-heavy, how do you creatively sort of tell people the whole timeline, of the story, and the history of a particular story?
2: I think you need to use the different mediums for what they're good at. So, um, you know, VR is not going to be very good for archive particularly because we haven't got 360 footage of, you know, a place 50 years ago or 100 years ago. Um, it might be that a simple timeline is the best we we've started um doing um lots of kind of explainer things in the guardian for exactly that reason people feel they actually feel they they feel off kind of off put by the articles because they don't know exactly those questions and so we've kind of got this you know these little widgets now that were designed by our product team to try and help people to to navigate so it might not be that it's the most complicated technologies that help with that it might you know videos are really really good at kind of personal stories kind of documentary stories um and it could be that um, conversation voice can be good with something where, where you can c- can answer uh, question and answer, but I think that there's like it's, it's not like one technology's got the answer for that. It's more that you're using each technology for what it's best at. The way, from what I'm hearing, and I have nothing to do with the news world at all, other than being a consumer, um, it's becoming more and more voyeuristic. The way VR is being used. Do you feel that there is this danger of voyeurism coming into it? I mean, that I that, mean, it, that, poverty, term is u- that term is used. That term is used. I think it just very much depends on how you do it. Um, we did see. We've seen a lot of kind of um, quite straightforward documentary pieces made in very poor countries, in refugee camps, and in, and. I think it's, it's a fine line between whether it makes you feel empathy or whether it becomes poverty tourism. I think it inevitably has to depend on how it's made, the kind of integrity of the directors, I think, because I think that you can, you can make that claim of many different media as well, um, of photography as well. So um, I think it's about responsibility of journalism. But isn't
0: this a so much more
2: responsibility becomes a far more important part of I mean you you're in the middle of that environment so you feel like you're in it. I just see them as being the same set of values for journalists to be. And you know, we've talked a lot about should there be, you know, should there be um, um, manuals for journalists when they're making uh, VR films around cuts and edits and editing out um, tripods and things like that. I, I just think it's quite early days to be saying this is the absolute journalistic authoritative way that we make something. So it's not voyeuristic. So that it's not um, so it's ethically made. I, I feel like we just need to hold ourselves up as good journalists when we're making these pieces.
1: I think she talked about checks and balances in terms of uh, talking to psychologists, being very, very transparent with users, saying that this was this is fictitious, these are actors, which anyway happens in documentary and filmmaking.
0: You do that in documentary, but you do that
1: even when you shoot video.
2: I I guess I just don't see them as any different techniques than have have been used before and that we're kind of feeling our way through kind of what VR storytelling looks like. But this this has been... A a lot of the kind of documentary style pieces not even so thoroughly storyboarded because even if you're filming something everyone needs to go and hide and then the people in that small village in the middle of nowhere need to do whatever they're doing. It's, you know, is, does that suddenly become not journalism? Well, maybe, but documentaries for years have done GVs where they say, like, right, now can you, you know, go right. over and wash your hands over here and then walk over here? Right. Right. It's, as I say, I think that in the end of the day, it's, it's... Film has always been directed, and it's around just the kind of integrity of the journalist. Are you, are you making something up that doesn't exist? Or is it... You know, is it authentic?
0: Um, I First of all, congratulations. That's a really interesting um, follow-up. I, I attended the first session. Um, so my question is, and I, and I quote you what you said uh, a little wa- while earlier. You said, um, journalism for years is telling you something, right? Sorry,
2: journalism.
0: Has for, journalists for years have told you oh, something. Yeah. It's a more passive way of communication. Um, yeah. I think when it comes to brands, and I, I agree with you in that I think right now media is getting a lot of flag for entering the VR space um, because we're uh, challenging the authenticity of the format uh, when it comes to so called authentic storytelling. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of this brand, Burger King, where they use the audio to actually um, sell their product by, today everybody has you know, Google Home, and um, they have uh, Echo. And they actually, their ad was, um, the ad ran as an audio ad saying, OK, Google, can you order me a burger? Mm -hmm. Now, that's a very disruptive storytelling as well, and fantastic, it did did the job. The job was, you know, they made a lot of disruption with their brand, and of course, they also got to be called out for it, right? Um, very creative, I must say. So if, but we all know the objective of that was to sell the product. In case of journalism entering these new spheres and playing around with technology, what is the objective of journalism? And um, is it to reinvent itself in the new times? Is it to tell better stories in newer formats? Or lastly, is it to seep into our sensory perceptions?
2: I think the function of journalism is the same. That doesn't change. Um, as new technologies are emerging, new possibilities for what journalism looks like develops as well. And that, that is it, really. When, when, when radio was invented at the beginning of the 20th century, n- journalism needed to think, what does a newspaper sound like? And it's been a while trying to figure that out. And I, I don't see this as being... I think the, the challenge with the, with the times we're in now is that many new technologies are coming out very fast and we're having to try and learn these things really quickly. But the aim of journalism is always the same. So just tell better stories using new technology. Tell stories that are really important that people need to know about and tell them accurately. Thank you so